Well, God's word is alive and living, and it has the power to change your life. Does anyone believe that today? Anyone? Anyone? Okay, I, I hope you do. If you don't, maybe after today's message, you will believe that. And today, we're in this, you know, we're continuing in this series, Truth and Dare. And uh, today, the whole focus is daring us to change, to, to dare to be willing to change. And, you know, change comes in our lives whether we want it to come or not. Uh, sometimes we have control of that. Sometimes we don't. I, I just met for the second time today. This is Ruth. Sorry to, to call you out. Uh, Ruth is 97 years old. Okay. Um, a Holocaust survivor. Okay. Pretty in, in, in incredible story. So if you get a chance to talk to her today, but we're so glad that you're here today. Very, very, very glad. But I, it made me think that you've seen so much change <laughs> in this world. And, uh, and, and, you know, a lot of times, like, we don't have the, the choice to control the different things that change. But sometimes we do, especially when it comes to items. So many of us, we could reach into our pocket and grab a phone, right, and make a phone call where before it was connected to a wall. And maybe we'd like to go back to those days sometimes where this isn't connected to us. It's just connected to a wall so we'd have a little more peace and freedom in our lives. Um, or we think about how we used to get around, you know, like we all came here most likely on a, in a vehicle back then, right? You had the horse and, uh, you could still ride a horse to church, especially here in South Wine, if you wanted to, right? Mine as well. So maybe we should get some horse parking once in a while. Maya, you in? Okay. Maybe we could do that. Uh, but then even medicine has changed through, through time. Uh, you know, so uh, the, the, the different uses that people use it for. So you think about like Alka-Seltzer, you remember this, you know, plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. Um, but now, you know, the kids are using Alka-Seltzer in different ways. And our student leaders have been challenging and daring our students to use Alka-Seltzer in different ways. And I, instead of sh sh telling you about it, I thought we'd just show you what they've been dared. Hey, Miles City, we've been talking about truth and dare, so uh, I'm the student director, Jordan Duncan. I decided we'd do a dare with our students and one of our student leaders. All you need is a little Alka-Seltzer, seven up. This is Lizzie, Kevin, whoa, <laughs> Lily, Liam, and Violet. Step one, put the Alka-Seltzer in your mouth. Come on, guys. Alka-Seltzer in. Do not swallow. Take a nice drink of 7-Up. Keep your mouth shut for as long as possible. <laughs> Liam is out. <laughs> Lizzie is out. Kevin is drooling. <laughs> Ah, did you see it? Did everyone see that? Right out of her nose? Yeah. I'm going to stick to the original way of Alka-Seltzer use, but uh, dare to be changed, dare to be changed. That, that's what we're talking about today. And as we get into this chapter, I, I just want to say it's a very interesting, difficult chapter, and there's not a ton of application. But here's the main premise that my hope, my goal for all of us, wherever you're at on your faith journey, is that all of us would leave here today with a little more confidence that God's word has the power to change your life. And that God's word 
is the inerrant word of God. It is the foundation of all truth. And whether you're a believer or not, so maybe you are a skeptic and and you're like, yeah, I just am not quite sure if I really believe, or maybe I believe parts of it, but not all of it. We're going to see today, we're going to look at arguably the most powerful, prophetic, ancient, documented, historical piece of literature on the planet that that exists. Um, And and so I hope it will stir your imagination and challenge your mind to consider, wow, this is unbelievable. And if you are a Jesus follower, if you are a believer, maybe sometimes you, you do have your doubts and you know, yeah, I believe Jesus died for me. I'm into that. But like the whole thing, I'm just not quite sure. I, I hope again that this chapter will give you a boost of confidence that this is the anchored word of God that has the power to change and sharpen your life like nothing ever that has been or will ever be. And so that's our goal. That's our hope. But, but before we do, I just want to pray for us as we dive into this text. And so Heavenly Father, I ask that you would be gracious to us today that this would not just be information given, but that it would be information that would create transformation and change in our lives to help us have more confidence in your word and that we would then allow it to continually change us from the inside out to look more and more like you, no matter what the world says, no matter what way the world heads in whatever direction it heads. Help us to anchor in your word. And so I pray this, continue, help me in my speech as I communicate, and I pray this in the power of your son's name, Jesus. And everyone said, amen. amen. So hey, grab a copy of, of the scriptures, grab that journal as we keep saying to write things down so it'll leave a longer lasting mark upon your life. Uh, I just want to, uh, re- re- uh, stuttering, remind us that Daniel, uh, the book of Daniel is not written in chronological order. And so we're basically seeing, in a sense, a flashback going back in time uh, where this time period was written around 500 B.C. So this is 500 years before the time of Jesus. So from our standpoint, this is like 2,500 plus years from our time, okay? And what we see is Daniel is going back into the time frame in his 70s when he is living in the Babylonian kingdom, the empire that was ruling the world at that time, the Babylonian Empire, the king's name was King Belshazzar. Now, as we go through this, oftentimes when people teach on the book of Daniel, they're going to stop at chapter 6 because the first half of the book is really palatable. It's easy for us to understand. Uh, From here on out, it's really difficult to understand and sometimes can be very confusing. And so as we go through this, if you feel confused, don't worry. Uh, you'll be in good company, okay? But we'll do our best to unpack it so that we can understand the purpose of uh, of this letter, of this chapter. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go ahead and read straight through Daniel chapter 8, verses 1 through 14, and let's just together get our thinking caps on as we go through it. So turn to the person next to you and say, are you ready? Okay. All right. Here we go. It says this, In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel after that which appeared to me at the first. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. 
And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Ulai Canal. I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal, and it had two horns. And both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. And he came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And instead of it there came up four conspicuous horns towards the four winds of heaven. One, or out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east, and toward the glorious land. It grew great even to the host of heaven. And some of the hosts and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great even as a great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him. And the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression. And it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concentrating in regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. Anyone confused? Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm confused. I'm confused. (laughs) What in the heck is going on? It's almost like, was Daniel having an acid trip or something? Or he just, you know, had a bad piece of pizza and went to bed? I mean, what in the world is going on here? And so let's try to like funnel this down so that we can make it palatable for us. So when you look at that whole text, some of the similar common themes that we see is this idea of a horn. And, and what we're seeing is, is this vision that God gives Daniel uh, using animals uh, as they would fight, as they would take over for, for power using animals. And so you've got the ram that represented, you know, two horns, one was bigger than the other. And then it goes from that to the great uh, goat with one horn that was sticking out right through the center. And then out of the great goat came four horns, a four-horn deal. And then out of the four horns, it goes to the little horn that's coming out. And then you do the hokey pokey and you turn yourself around. I mean, and that's what this is all about and we're good to go, right? So what does all of this mean? This seems a little confusing. This seems a little strange. This seems a little weird. And if you feel a little confused and this is a little what in the world... Daniel felt the same way. And we read about it in verse 15 as we continue. It says, when I, Daniel, had seen this vision, I sought to understand it. He's scratching his head too. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. 
So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened, and I fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me, and he made me stand up, and he said, Behold, I will make known to you. Let me say that again. Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. And so quickly, what I want to just point out right here in this section is that here we see God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate, showing up to Daniel again. And it's blowing Daniel's mind so much so that it's freaking him out in a sense. He's, he's literally fearing it. He's falling on his face. And then God sends the angel Gabriel to him to help him understand this overwhelming, difficult vision. And, the, and what we see in Scripture is we only get three angels that are identified by name in the Scriptures. The one is Lucifer, the fallen angel. Then you've got Michael, the archangel. He's like the chief angel of all angels. And then Gabriel is the messenger angel. This is the same angel that came to Mary to let Mary know that she was pregnant with Jesus. And so here's Gabriel assigned by Jesus to help Daniel understand what in the world does this vision mean. And so he wakes him up. He literally wakes him up and this is going to help him understand this difficult passage. And one source of application that we can grab from here is this. If you're taking notes, that difficult things can be used by God to change us. Sometimes, right, when it comes to reading God's truth or trying to understand faith, right, it can be so hard. We start to read, so we're like, what does this mean? I don't understand. And a lot of times, right, if we're honest, we just kind of give up. I don't know. This is like, I'm not that smart. And we can just move on from it. But this is a challenge for us. To know that the Holy Spirit of God who lives inside of us when we accept him as our Savior, he gives us the power for his truth to be made known to us. But the question is, is do we dig in? Or do we just say, ah, shrug my shoulders and forget it? He will reveal it to us if we continually dig in. And so difficult things, difficult passages, things that we don't understand, things that are in God's word that we don't like, difficult things can change us. God uses those things to change us from the inside out. But not only his word, but other things in our life, like relationships, like friendships. When, when friendships become difficult, where there's a tension in a friendship, when there's a tension in a marriage, when there's a tension in a dream that you might have, and I don't know what you're going through right now in your life, but maybe you are in a tension. Maybe you are in a difficulty. Maybe you're in a, in, in a trial, in a valley in your life right now, and if you're honest, you want to give up. You just kind of want to throw in the towel. And if that's you today, I just want to beg you, don't give up. Dig in. Don't give up. Dig in because God uses difficult situations to help change us, to make us stronger, to make us better. And so now we get the interpretation. I know you're so excited. You're just on the edge of your seat wanting to know what in the world this is all about. And so now uh, we're going to, Gabriel, the angel, is going to help Daniel and help us see what in the world this is all about. 
So in verse 20, here's what it says. And as for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. And so we have to remember that when Daniel is, is writing this, when this vision came, when the vision came to Daniel, he's writing during the Babylonian Empire. And we talked about this uh, a few weeks ago in Daniel chapter 2 with Nebuchadnezzar, and then last week in Daniel chapter 7, how we see the forecast and the prophecies to the detail come true that is prophesied to Daniel that the Babylonian Empire will rise and then it will fall and it will be defeated by the Medo-Persian Empire and the Medo-Persian Empire will rise but then it will fall and then it will be defeated and conquered by the Greeks and then they will reign for a period of time and then after the Greeks we'll have the Romans. So Romans, Greeks, Persians, Babylon. And in this chapter it just talks about Babylon, the Persians, and the Greeks, and then it skips and we'll talk about some other stuff, okay? So I'm just trying to help you kind of get where we're at here. But why in the world should you care about the Persian Empire rising to the surface? And why does God care so much about the Persian Empire? And one of the key reasons why it was so important is that the Persian Empire sets up the release of the Israelites who are in captivity. We'll see later in chapter 10 that the ruler Cyrus of the Persian Empire releases the Israelites and gives them the freedom to go back to Israel to rebuild the temple. And what, the reason why that's important is because that temple being rebuilt is preparing for the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, to come back. So try to just put that in the back of your memory or write that down. The Persians... The rise to power releases the Israelites so that the temple can be rebuilt. Okay? Now, verse 21. Check this out. It says, and the goat is the king. Now, I didn't know LeBron James was in the Bible. Okay? Just kidding. Just kidding. I'm more of a Michael Jordan guy. In fact, I'm more of a hockey guy. Just for all you basketball sports people, I thought you'd think that was funny. Obviously, you didn't think it was funny. But let's keep going. All right. Uh, And the goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. Remember, this happened while Daniel is in the Babylonian Empire predicting that Medo-Persian Empire would come. The two horns, right? Medo-Persia joining together, destroying Babylon. And now he is forecasting, we're seeing this collision between the Persian Empire and the Greek Empire this head-on collision. Now, what we have to remember is that when this takes place, when the Greek empire, literally, history shows, the Greek empire takes over the the Persian empire. This is 200 years after the fact. So after Daniel wrote this, after all this took place, 200 years later, the fulfillment of this actually takes place. This is, now, this is where I need you to hang with me because this is unbelievable. The the way that this plays out with such detail, with such accuracy. We know so much about Alexander the Great, who um, became the emperor of Greece. And 
he came the emperor at a young age in his 20s. His parents were murdered, and then when he became the emperor, he took on himself the, the ambition of his father to finish his father's business, which was to take over the world. He wanted to conquer the entire world. And we know Alexander the Great literally went on the conquest and just took over. And so we have so much detailed historical evidence of Alexander the Great and how he went about what he did. It's unbelievable. Um, that are not biblical sources, that are uh, other sources that are not of the Bible. One of those sources, one of the most credible historical uh, historians is a man, Josephus, who, write, who wrote, uh, it's called uh, The Antiquities in, in 94 AD, um, he wrote very detailed, such detail of Alexander the Great's conquest. And I just, I'm going to kind of paraphrase some of this, but this is going to just blow your mind because it's unbelievable how accurate it is to the prophecy. It's told by Josephus that Alexander the Great, while he was on his conquest, had a dream one night. And in his dream, a man came to him dressed in purple, and spoke to him and said, it is time for you to rise up and go and conquer Medo-Persia. And so Alexander the Great wakes up from this dream, had this divine revelation and listened to the divine revelation and said, it's time. And he took his army and he rose up and he went to go after and conquer Medo-Persia. On his way in his conquest, as he would come across different parts of the land, he would conquer them as he was heading towards Medo-Persia. Well, on his route, guess where he shows up at? Jerusalem, Israel. And so here we have the Medo, during the Medo-Persian era, we have the high priest at the temple, not wanting history to repeat itself and get annihilated. And so the high priest orders the worshipers to dress in white and let's go meet Alexander the Great as he comes in. And so just imagine this moment in history. This is real. This is, you can't make this up. This is real. Alexander the Great and his army are heading towards Israel. And then they see a sea of white of Israelites. And then the high priest walks out and starts heading towards Alexander the Great. But he wasn't in white. Guess what color he was in? Purple. And he had no clue about the vision of Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great is said to be humbled by this, overwhelmed by this, runs out and meets the high priest and says, you're the man in my vision. You're the one that I saw in my vision. And then the high priest takes Alexander the Great, this is just insane, takes Alexander the Great into the temple. And then you know what he does with him? He grabs the Bible, the Old Testament, opens up to Daniel chapter 8, verse 21, and says, we've been waiting for you. We knew you were coming because 200 years ago, God's prophet Daniel prophesied that you would come. The goat, the king of Greece. And the goat, the Aegean Sea where Greece is, that means 
Aegean means goat. It's the goat sea. Again, you can't make this up. There it is. Alexander the Great is like looking at Daniel chapter 8 like, oh my goodness, this is overwhelming. I mean, he's the great conqueror and instead of annihilating them, he's so overwhelmed that he goes into the, 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 where they were making sacrifices, he goes into the temple and with the high priest, he makes a sacrifice to the great God of Yahweh and pays homage to God Almighty. We don't know if he became a believer then or we, most likely not, but, and then as he leaves Jerusalem, he asks the high priest, is there any request that you would make of me? And he says, well, after you conquer Persia, which we know you will because it says it right here, would you give us religious liberty? Would you give us religious freedom so that we can worship the God of Israel, Yahweh? And he said, permission granted. Then Alexander the Great goes to Persia. He's outnumbered. He's got about 30,000 troops. Persia's got about 100,000 troops. They collide. It says that 20,000 Persian soldiers died and only 100 Greek soldiers died. It was an unbelievable miracle battle reminding us that God puts those who he wants to put in in charge and will take people out whenever he wants to. So, why should you care about this? Why, why should you care about Alexander the Great taking over the world? Why does God care so much about Alexander the Great? I mean, there's so many different... Why did he care about Greece going to the top? Here's why. Alexander the Great was all about education. He had Aristotle, like trained him. Our great philosophers that we lean into and learn from, like we still learn from them. Before Greece, in, in the Persian Empire and in the Babylonian Empire, everyone that they would capture, they would let them have their native tongue. Alexander the Great changed it. He said, we're going to have a common language. I want everyone having the same language. And so he created a one-world language in that time, which that language is Greek. And what is the original language of the New Testament that you're holding in your hand? Greek. And are you seeing this? Listen, God is preparing the way. And then when the Romans took over the Greek Empire... What language did the Romans adopt? Greek. And then who shows up in the Roman Empire? Jesus. And then what happens? Guess what? The temple's open now because of the Persians. There's one language now that can describe the events that are about to happen with Jesus dying and rising again. And then the Romans build the road system to make sure that the, emperor, the empire is strong as ever before. And now the gospel of Jesus Christ, one language, is spreading out into the, into the world and to the ends of the earth. I don't know if I've lost you, but think about all that. The entire thing was played out all in preparation for Jesus. I don't know if I'm boring everyone. I know it's crazy. I just, but 
This, and it doesn't stop there. The chapter goes on and then predicts the coming future of the second coming of Jesus. And so if every stinking detail lines up perfectly here, that should blow your mind and give you confidence that, oh my goodness, this is real, and I better pay attention to the end of the story. So let's look at the end. Back to this incredible chapter. It says, As for the horn that was broken in place in which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. He shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand and in his own mind, he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes and he shall be broken, but by no human hand. And that's a really key point but by no human hand. And so let's, let's look at this next slide. Ram with two horns, Medo-Persian Empire, right? Goat with the one horn, Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great unexpectedly dies. Rumor has it that he was poisoned. We don't know for sure. But he had an enemy in his camp that tried to destroy him. Alexander the Great at age 33 dies without an heir to the kingdom, to the empire. And so out of the goat, again, you can't make this up, four horns represents the four generals that took over Greece. Four generals took the power of Greece. And then out of the four generals comes the little horn. And this represents the Antichrist. And this is kind of a twofold prophecy meaning a literal Antichrist and the spirit of the Antichrist. And the spirit of the Antichrist of a certain individual is depicted here in this text that actually comes true. Again, stay with me. I know this is a lot, but this is so crazy. Out of the four generals came a man, a leader, by the name of Antiochus of Epiphanes. You can read all about this. It's unbelievable. He reigned from 175 to 164 BC, and this guy was messed up in the head. He, he, was, he was brutal. Killed 80,000 Jews within a couple days. Killed pregnant women, elderly women, children. It was just, this guy was just nuts. He would sacrifice pigs on the altar of the Holy of Holies. I mean, he created an altar in the temple for Zeus, just trying to just literally just mock God, mock the God of Yahweh. But then God, we're told in an unbiblical book called the book of Maccabees, we're told in history that God came down and says that he was supernaturally touched. Literally, God poked his bowels in a sense. And he became septic and he started to rot from the inside out and died unexpectedly by no human hand. This is told in history. This actually takes place. But what we see through this is not only the spirit of the Antichrist, but it's also showing us the coming of the Antichrist. What do we mean by that? In 1 John 2.18, it tells us this. Children, 
It is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. So there will be multiple spirits of the Antichrist that will rise up and fall all throughout history until the final Antichrist will come. There will always be Nebuchadnezzar's, uh, Alexander the Great's, Antiochus, Nero's, Hitler's, Stalin's, they're going to keep coming and coming and going until one day the final Antichrist will take his position. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 reminds us, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellious comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the Antichrist, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Why is this important? Why should you care? Because the Antichrist is coming. This isn't just ancient history. It's coming. And then I just want to wrap this up with this. It's just, it's unbelievable. Listen to what Jesus says about this. Okay? Check this out. Ready? Matthew 24. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken out by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Are you catching this? Jesus Christ. 500 years after Daniel, quotes Daniel chapter 8. That what Daniel said about the coming of the Antichrist, it's real and it's coming. But as we continue reading, he says, don't worry. Think about it. This is like back to the future, like Marty McFly. I mean, Jesus is with Daniel. And now here he is talking about Daniel. This is unbelievable. And then listen to what Jesus says. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. There he is. Go. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Sound familiar? Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Jesus is coming back and the antichrists will come and they will go and they will come and they will go and then the final antichrist will come and then Jesus reminds all of us, take heart, don't worry because when the antichrist comes, be looking in the clouds because I'm right there. Their power is useless against my power. Are you seeing the connection? Are you seeing the, just the power of what we get to? And think about it. Daniel doesn't know any of this, but we get to know it. We're living in the grace age. I mean, from, from Daniel, when we see everything line up through history to Alexander the Great to the Roman Empire, Jesus is first coming. And then here we go. We're somewhere in between preparing for the second coming, living in the grace age, seeing the evidence that this actually took place. So take heart. The future will take place exactly as the Word of God says it will. Now, listen, I know if you come to my old city on a regular basis, this was a very unusual message, and if this is your first time, come on back, take the three-week challenge, okay? Um, <laughs> whew, um, 
what do we learn from this? Let's read the last verse, Daniel 8, 27. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business. But I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. What do we see here? What do we see? We see a couple things. He was so overwhelmed by this. And again, he didn't even get to see it like we get to see it. But it appalled him and it moved him to go about his business. And we saw Daniel continually be faithful throughout so many different situations to let people know the faithfulness of God. Change occurred in his life. And change can occur in our life when we are confident in who God is. If you're taking notes, write that down. Change happens in us and around us when we are confident in who he is. God knew the future for Daniel. And God knows the future for you. God holds the future in the palm of his hands. He's got the entire thing rigged and you're a part of the story. You can either lean into that or not. That's your call. Do we trust him with our future? Do we trust him? Change also occurs when we are careful in how we live. We saw the faithfulness of Daniel. He went through so many different kings, six different, seven, I forget how many different kings, at least six, uh, different kings, different empires coming and going, and yet he stayed faithful. He never compromised. Living in a fallen world, no matter how the world shifted, he stayed true to God's truth, which is a great question for us. Are you letting God's word change you, or are you trying to change God's word? Let me say that again really slow. Are you letting God's word change you, or are you trying to change God's word? We Listen, the word of God should be over our lives. We should never try to be over God's word. And the moment that you keep trying to shift God's word to fit in how you feel or how the word feel or how the world feels, you'll get it wrong every time. But when you let his word be over your life, you'll never go wrong. You'll never go wrong. Lastly, change occurs when we are concerned for the second coming because it shifts us. We talked about the eternal perspective last week. It shifts us knowing that he's coming back. It helps make sure that we allow this to change us from the inside out and it helps us think of others to make sure that they are allowing God's truth to change them from the inside out. Have you ever had God's word change your life? Have you ever allowed your life to just lean into being confident in his word. If you haven't, then let this be the day where you allow his word to change you, to lean in and to be confident in it, that you can stand on it. If you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never let him change you, then today can be the day. And I want to give you that opportunity. So I'm just going to ask us all to just close our eyes and, and bow our heads and just, maybe that's you. If you're honest, you just say, you know what, Travis? I've never let... God, change me. Listen, every single one of us has a major problem on our hands. And that is sin. We've all fallen short. We've all messed up. And because of it, it separates us from God. But he loves you so much that he changed everything by coming 2,000 years ago, making himself known, 
showing up in the temple, showing up in the cross. And he died on a cross and he rose again to cover and erase our sin. And he tells us that all who call upon his name will be saved. He took the penalty for sin so that you didn't have to. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, he says, it's through faith. It's through your belief. You might not understand it all, but you can understand, you know what? I know I can't fix this on my own. I need, I need God to fix this. And so with your own words, you can just say this right now in the quietness of your heart. You can just say, Father, I'm done running from you. Just tell him, I'm done running from you. And just say, I want you to change me. Just say that to him. I want you to change me, change me. Forgive me, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me for my sin. And then just say, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising again for me. And then just say right now in this moment, I receive you, Jesus, to be my king. I surrender my life to you. As we continue to pray, my friend, if you meant that, the scripture is so clear that you will no longer perish, but now you can be confident that you'll have everlasting life. And you don't have to worry about death. And you don't have to be anxious about the coming of an antichrist that will rule this world in an evil way. And you don't have to be worried because when Jesus comes back in the clouds, you're ready because you have Jesus. God, thank you for your word being so detailed and so accurate and so precise. May all of us leave here a little more confident and how amazing and powerful and real and true it is. We love you and we pray this in the power of your son's name, Jesus. Amen.